at One Day University. We feature hundreds of top-rated professors from Stanford, Harvard, Michigan, Texas, UCLA, and other schools across the world to explore history, music, politics, art, science, and much more. Every Wednesday, our weekly scholar newsletter includes five fascinating short video clips of our most notable professors discussing a brand new topic, plus special reports and topical debates as well. Sign up for free at OneDayU.com. That's O-N-E-D-A-Y-U.com. Welcome to the New Heights Show on Education. I'm Pamela Clark, founder and director of the New Heights Educational Group. And I'm here with David Smith, the founder of Silicon Valley High School, who has helped us get these podcasts produced and delivered to you. Yes, Pamela, when we saw the great things that you and your army of volunteers were achieving at New Heights, we wanted to get involved. We're happy to work with you to leverage the internet and make quality education accessible and affordable to everyone, everywhere. Thank you, David. We appreciate Silicon Valley High School helping us to get these podcasts out to the hundreds of thousands of listeners from all over the world. So I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the New Heights Show on Education. I hope you all had a great weekend. This is your host, Anna Shi. Thank you all for tuning in today. So um, this is a pre-recorded show because unfortunately I cannot make it. Um, I cannot make it today to do a live show. So really, the only difference is that there is no speaker chat and there's no Zoom meeting, but otherwise everything else is the same, really. Um, but if you do have a question today, um, feel free to just shoot me an email. Uh, and you can find my email and my profile on Spreaker. Um, and yeah, if you just have any comments or questions, you can just feel free to send me an email and I'll be happy to answer um, or discuss whatever comment or question you have. Um, as always, this show is going to be split into two halves where the first half is 15 minutes and the second half is also 15 minutes. Um, this time, of course, you'll be able to access both halves of the episode at the same time because they are pre-recorded. So um, the organization that I volunteer with, which is the New Heights Educational Group, or NHEG, um, they, their goal is to promote literacy in children and adults by offering a variety of educational support services. And you can find out more about us at newheightseducation.org. Right now, you might be struggling through your classes or even failing them. You might be worried that you may not finish high school. There might have even been a thought that you may not be smart enough. Well, the New Heights Educational Group begs to differ. We not only think you are smart enough, but with our help, you will complete your high school diploma. The New Heights Educational Group strives to improve your academic success through its tutoring services. To learn more, please visit newheightseducation.org and contact us. New Heights Educational Group, educational resources to help reach your goals. So now, right before I begin, as always, I just want to clarify that I own none of this information. All of it can be found from the websites included in this episode's description, which I mean you can really just access right now. So feel free to check them out as I discuss today's um, songbird. So today I'm going to be talking about the bluebirds. And specifically, I believe I am talking about the Eastern Bluebird. Um, I mean, I'm in New England, so Eastern Bluebird, why not? So um, 
most of the country drives during an eastern North American summer will turn up a few eastern bluebirds sitting on like telephone wires or nest boxes and their voice is a kind of like really short and wavering in terms of their sound um, and you might find them abruptly dropping to the ground chasing after an insect to eat you can so these are really beautiful birds honestly like they have a great like color kind of theme going on there if you look up some bluebirds you'll get some really nice pictures and um, they're a great sight to see for bird watchers so um, one interesting thing about the male eastern bluebirds is that they have a brilliant royal blue um, on the back and the head and a kind of warm reddish brown um, kind of color on their breast they also have blue tinges in the wings and the tail which give the grayer females in elegant look um, Eastern bluebirds are pretty easy to identify um, in terms of other birds because, like, they're bluebirds. I mean, come on, they're kind of basically named after their color. Um, of course, they're different from the blue jay uh, because the blue jay is, like, a lot bigger and it's got that crest on its head and uh, the bluebird has more of a solid blue color in comparison to the blue jay's blue designs. Um, some females, in comparison to the males, may have a rather subdued coloration to the point where their backs are more of a blue-gray and the breasts are only fainty, faintly rusty, but the pattern of the colors remains the same. So if you do happen to find a bluebird with very bright blue and very brick-red colored breasts, that is probably a male. Um, females is just a little bit duller. Probably, the males probably have the brighter coloring to attract females and such, and the females probably have the duller coloring just to kind of like camouflage and such. So bluebirds, again, they're smaller than blue jays, and they don't have the pointed crest like they do, along with the black collars and the extensive white on the wings and the tail that the blue jays have. So these are some ways that you can tell them apart from the blue jay. Um, honestly, it's not that hard to tell them apart. It's like common sense, pretty much. Um, in terms of like the bluebird's size and shape, so they have a big and rounded head, a large eyes, um, a plump body, and a very alert posture. And I mean, birds do have to be alert most of the time because they're always on the lookout for predators since they're pretty tiny and they're not at the top of the food chain. Their wings um, are pretty long, the eastern bluebird, but their tail and legs are fairly short, and the bill is short and straight. Um, for their color pattern, male eastern bluebirds are have like a really vivid deep blue again, and they have a really rusty or brick red coloring on their throat and breast. Blue in birds always depends on the light, and males often look plain gray brown from a distance, um, while the females are more of a grayish from above with bluish wings and a tail and a subdued orange-brown breast. So again, the females really have a kind of more subdued coloring in comparison to the males, which is quite interesting. So now, let's start off with some more um, cool facts about the Eastern Bluebird. Not that those facts I just told you weren't cool, but these are even cooler facts. So, the male eastern bluebird um, displays at his nest cavity to attract a female. So, he brings nest material to the hole, he goes in and out, and then once the nest is ready, he kind of just waves his wing um, while he perches above it, which is pretty, and that is pretty much his contribution, his contribution to the nest building. 
Um, so he kind of like doesn't really build it. Um, he just kind of brings the materials there and then he just kind of waves around like female come over here I got a nest ready uh, you should totally mate with me and then the female eventually some female comes by and she's like hey I think this this is a nice this is a nice looking chap over here and uh, those are some good nest materials so I'm gonna mate with him I'm gonna lay some eggs <laughs> And then the female eastern bluebird, she is the one that really builds the nest. And, of course, she incubates the eggs. So, I mean, the dull color that she has does help her to camouflage um, from predators and such. So, that is, her coloring is something to help her, even though it's not as pretty as the male's coloring. Eastern bluebirds typically have more than one successful brood per year, which is pretty good. Um, and the young produced in early nests usually leave their parents in the summer, but the young from later nests frequently stay with their parents over the winter. So it's like during their first broods, the young are just like, bye-bye, and they leave and they do their own things, like mating and laying more eggs and such. And But then later on, the young are like, hey, maybe we'll stay with you, parents. Sounds like a good idea. Eastern bluebirds um, occur across eastern North America, of course, and they can be found as far south as Nicaragua, surprisingly. Birds that live farther north and in the west of the range tend to lay more eggs than eastern and southern birds, which would make sense if you think about the eastern side a little bit. Not sure about the southern side, since the southern side is pretty warm compared to the northern side. But um, on the eastern side, like New England here, our weather is not exactly the warmest weather. And um, so when they have when they live farther north and such where they lay more eggs it's like more young so if some of them die off then you'll have you'll still have plenty of young who um have a chance of surviving so it's kind of like when fish um or frogs lay eggs they always lay a bunch of them because i mean in the end very few of their eggs actually survive to adulthood so i think it's probably the same kind of ideology here uh, Eastern bluebirds eat mostly insects, wild fruit, and berries, and occasionally Eastern bluebirds have also been observed to be capturing and eating larger prey items such as shrews, salamanders, snakes, yes, snakes, <laughs> lizards, and tree frogs, so they've got a pretty interesting uh, diet and appetite there. Um, the oldest recorded eastern bluebird was at least 10 years and 6 months old, which is pretty darn old. Um, it had been banded in New York in May of 1989, and then it was found dead in South Carolina in November 1999, so it's lived a very long life. Uh, in terms of their habitat, eastern bluebirds often live in the open country, around trees, but with little understory and like sparse ground cover. So um, in the places that I live, I don't really see a ton of eastern bluebirds just because of um, the surrounding area. It's not exactly like open country. Um, but eastern bluebirds are a pretty like um, I believe they're a year-round resident of the New England area or so. At least um, they can be found all along the eastern United States. So, they, but um, if you do look up pictures of bluebirds, you will find that a lot of them are taken in um, 
places with a huge kind of expanse where there's not a lot of um, not a lot of trees going around, but more of like open countryside and such. At least that's what I found when I was looking up bluebird pictures. There, and this probably indicates that their original habitats included similar structures like this open country. Um, so they might have had they might have lived in frequently burned pine savannas, beaver ponds, mature but open woods, and forest openings. So a lot of like these forest clearings and just these huge openings with lots of space, really. Today, they're most common along pastures, agricultural fields, suburban parks, backyards, and golf courses. So, I mean, golf courses work. There's a lot of, I mean, it, golf courses still have the, still have some trees, um, plants, and such, and they're wide open space. So, I mean, bluebirds are like, hey, wide open space. I'm into that. I like golf courses. So, um, a little more about the food of the bluebird. So, the insects on the uh, that the bluebirds caught, catch on the ground are really their main source of food for the year. Uh, major prey include caterpillars, beetles, crickets, yes, even the crickets, grasshoppers, and spiders. So, yes, they do also eat spiders. So, these bluebirds eat a lot of things. I mean, they eat tree frogs, they eat spiders, they eat snakes. They got, they eat a lot of stuff. In the winter and fall, um, bluebirds eat large amounts of fruit, including mistletoe, sumac, blueberries, black cherry, tupelo, currants, wild holly, dogwood berries, hackberries, honeysuckle, bay, pokeweed, and juniper berries. And um, again, they do also eat like snakes and lizards and tree frogs or salamanders, uh, but this occurs very rarely. Uh, just put it that way. So, but it still does happen. Like, it doesn't change the fact that it still does happen. So, I mean, these bluebirds are pretty voracious eaters, I suppose, or aggressive eaters, I should say. So, um, that ends the first half of today's show on the eastern bluebirds, and I hope you learned a lot. Um, I certainly did. I did not know that eastern bluebirds can eat lizards. Um, and feel free and feel free to check out the second half of today's show, which should be there for you. This podcast is brought to you by Silicon Valley High School, the world's fastest growing video based, self paced, teacher supported, fully accredited online school that's recommended by more than 96% of students. Take individual courses at just $95 each or earn your high school diploma at any age. Check us out at svhs.co. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the second half of today's show on the Eastern Bluebirds. So um, where we left off was we were talking about how Eastern Bluebirds can actually eat lizards and tree frogs. Although, of course, this happens very rarely. Um, so next up, we have the nesting and the nest placement of the eastern bluebirds. So after a male eastern bluebird has, has successfully attracted a female to his nest site by carrying material in and out of the hole, perching and fluttering his wings, which appears to be an extremely attractive method of getting a female to come over, the female does all the nest building. So he's like, hey, come over here. I'm an attractive male and I got everything you need. And then you do all the work. <laughs> um, 
I don't know. It's just the way I interpret it, but I'm sure that it's just the it's just their way of life. So the female, um, what she does is she makes the nest by loosely weaving together grasses and pine needles, and then lining it with fine grasses and occasionally horsehair or even turkey feathers. Nest boxes in some places are so common that a single territory may contain several suitable holes. Females often build nests in each available hole, but typically only use one of these. And bluebirds may even use the same nest for multiple broods. So they're really liking their nest boxes, and they're really liking using their same nest over and over again, which is pretty smart because reduce, reuse, recycle, right? <laughs> um, in terms of where they place their nests, eastern bluebirds put their nests in natural cavities or nest boxes or other artificial refuges among available natural cavities, so natural ones. Bluebirds typically select old woodpecker holes, so this is kind of like what the tufted titmouse does, um, in dead pine or oak trees up to 50 feet off the ground. Older bluebirds are more likely than younger ones to nest in a nest box. Um, although individual birds often switch their preferences between nesting attempts. So this may just end up being because the older ones have more experience or they have more knowledge and the younger ones are like, I'm scared of nest boxes, I don't know what they are. So they're like, nah, I'm not going to use it. Who knows? Uh, that's just what I think. Uh, when given the choice in one study, bluebirds seem to prefer snugger nest boxes, so four inches square instead of six inches square on the bottom, with a slightly larger entrance holes, like one point, okay, this is very specific, 1.75 inches rather than 1.4 inches in diameter. So this is just the entrance, like the little hole that the birds use to enter the nest hole. So if you really want to build a nest box for a bluebird, I mean, I don't blame you. Bluebirds are amazing creatures. Um, you can follow these instructions here to build a bottom that is uh, four inches square. Uh, that's the area. And then the entrance has a diameter of 1.75 inches. So 1.75 inch diameter for the hole. And then the bottom is four inches square. So two by two. So that's a very snug nest box indeed. <laughs> Uh, so, in terms of their behavior, this small and brightly colored little bird, uh, so they're part of the thrush family actually, and thrushes are a type of bird. Bluebirds typically perch on wires and fence posts overlooking open fields. Um, if you look up some of the pictures of bluebirds, you'll see them overlooking many fields. So that's, I can vouch for that. The birds forage by fluttering to the ground to grab an insect, or occasionally by catching an insect in midair, which is very, very skillful. Almost like what the hummingbird does, um, is when they kind of go and eat insects in midair, which takes a lot of skill. Bluebirds can sight their tiny prey items from 60 feet or more away, which is crazy. So they got amazing eyesight, like they would get 20-20 vision on all of our tests. Or maybe they're just farsighted, who knows. They fly fairly low to the ground and with a fast but irregular pattern to their wing beats. So I don't know how this irregular pattern actually works for them, but I suppose they base it on the wind currents and such. 
So the males vie over territories and chase each other at high speed, sometimes grappling with their feet, pulling at feathers with their beaks, and hitting with their wings. So they're really just kind of like, it's kind of like when we punch each other and stuff. Um, they're just protecting their territory, really. The boxes and tree cavities where bluebirds nest are a hot commodity among birds that require holes for nesting. And male bluebirds will attack other will attack any other species so not just other bluebirds but any other species they deem to be a threat and these include of course the notorious house sparrows european starlings and tree swallows um also great also great crested flycatchers carolina chickadees and brown-headed nuthatches as well as non-cavity nesters such as robins blue jays mockingbirds and cowbirds so they really attack every single bird that comes by their nest <laughs> so they're very overprotective of their nests which i mean um that means they're willing to take care of their kids right they're willing to protect their young to the very end um Again, the male attracts females to the nest with a display in which he carries bits of nesting material into and out of the nest. And once a female enters the nest hole with him, the pair bond is typically established and often remains intact for several seasons, which is quite nice. So they're like, hey, well, I'll stick with you for a little bit. I'm not so, like, gonna leave you so soon. Uh, although studies suggest that around one in every four or five eggs involves a parent from outside the pair, which is quite interesting, so I guess there's some cheating going on. <laughs> in spring and summer, bluebirds nest in holes, either in trees or in birdhouses put up for their use. They mostly forage for insects on the ground, occasionally catching flying bugs and such. And as the weather gets colder, many bluebirds flock together for migration. Those that remain in Massachusetts um, eat mostly soft fruits, and a pair of bluebirds may remain on or near their breeding terry all through the winter. So it really depends on the couple or like the whichever bluebirds you happen to be talking about at that time. Um, in terms of their conservation, so eastern bluebird populations increased between 1966 and 2015, according to the North American Breeding Bird Survey, which is great news. Partners in Flight estimates a global breeding population of about 22 million or so, with 86% spending at least some part of their year in the U.S., 22% in Mexico, and 1%, so only 1%, breeding in Canada. So really a lot of these birds um, happen to reside in the U.S. and a few in Mexico and then like very, very little in Canada. The species rates a 7 out of 20 on the Continental Concern Score and is not on and is not on the 2016 State of North America's Birds Watch list, which is pretty good. Eastern bluebird populations fell in the early 20th century as aggressive introduced species such as European starlings and house sparrows made available nest holes increasingly difficult for bluebirds to hold on to, which is very unfortunate. Um, but that's one of the reasons why the starlings and the sparrows are so successful as species and why we see so many of them today. In the 1960s and 70s, establish establishment of bluebird trails and other nest box campaigns alleviated much of this competition, especially after people began using nest boxes designed to keep out the larger European starling. So um, after getting all these nest boxes out, the eastern bluebird population has been recovering ever since, which is pretty good news. 
Um, although pesticides and competition from house sparrows in the early and mid 20th century did negatively impact bluebirds, so again with the whole like competition thing and such, they've recovered pretty well in um, recent years, and as of now, they are stable or increasing in terms of their population, both as breeding birds and wintering birds, which is good news. Much of this recovery is thanks to concerned citizens who put up bluebird boxes in their fields for these birds to nest in. So, um, I remember when I was learning about uh, songbirds back in middle school, um, I remember like the bluebird was a huge deal. Like everyone thought it was beautiful, and then our teacher kept talking about how um, we should build nest boxes for the bluebirds. And now, I mean, like these two things connect because their population was decreasing due to the competition with other birds, especially the starlings and the sparrows. So put up. So the mess. So if you take away anything um, from here, at the very least, take away build nest boxes for bluebirds based on the measurements of the bottom, which is two by two inches, and the hole with a diameter of 1.75 inches. So hopefully, we can save the bluebirds. Um, if you really do want to get attract this bird to your backyard, and I don't blame you for doing so. Um, it doesn't often come to feeders unless you have feeders that provide mealworms. So um, I personally don't suggest that. I mean, that's just that's just not good in like any aspect that I see. <laughs> um, Eastern bluebirds may be tough to attract to feeders, but they're a great prospect for nest boxes if you have the space to put one up in your yard. And if your yard isn't too hemmed in by trees or houses, because again, they really like the open country. They like they like golf courses, so I mean, if you happen to live near a space that looks like a golf course, build a nest box and put it there for some bluebirds. So um, chances are you're more likely to attract a bluebird with a nesting box. And make sure you put it up well before the breeding season, otherwise you're like just off, honestly. And you can, you should also attach a guard to the nest box in order to keep predators from raiding the eggs and the young. Um, again, you can find them in you can find eastern bluebirds in open country with patchy vegetation and large trees or nest boxes. So meadows, old fields, and golf courses are pretty good places to start. Um, and this is my show on the bluebirds today. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to rate us and follow us on your podcast player. Check out our show page, radio.newheightseducation.org, for monthly announcements and other happenings. Imagine your new bathroom. A sparkling new tub, a modern shower conversion, a seamless new wall, all done in as little as a day. Introducing Bathfitter. Join over 2 million customers delighted with our one-of-a-kind remodeling process. No demolition, no mess. Guaranteed for life. Installed in as little as a day. Book a free in-home consultation at bathfitterpodcasts.com and get our best offer of the year right now. Bathfitter, 35 years of better bath remodels. Bathfitter.